do this, head on over to the book of Hebrews at chapter 13, uh, verses 17 through 19 is where we'll be tonight. Again, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 17 through 19. So when you get there, would you stand? Or you'll stand. <laughs> and then we'll read uh, God's word uh, together. Hebrews 13, 17 through 19. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And uh, the t- teaching tonight is called Elevating Leadership. Elevating Leadership. Here we go, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18. Hey, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. So reads God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. So again, the teaching today is submit to your leaders. Submit to your leaders. Now, the world that we live in, they would define rebellion as an act of resistance to an established government or ruler. That's how they would define rebellion. Let me say that again, as an act of resistance to an established government or ruler, okay? Now, sin is fundamentally rebellion against God. That would be another way to describe a descriptor of sin. It's just rebellion against God. And we know by reading God's word that God hates rebellion. And God deals with the sin of rebellion. How does he do such? He sends Jesus, Jesus willingly goes to the cross, and he takes our sin upon upon himself. And the Bible teaches us that God's wrath was satisfied because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So, because of the cross, Jesus communes our death sentence, providing salvation for those who repent and place their faith and trust in him alone. So as Christians, if you're in Christ today, as Christians, We are a set-apart people. We're a holy people, right? We're a set-apart people. We are members, if we're in Christ, we're members of a kingdom, and we are a people under authority. That would be us. So as people under authority, God's design, again, this is God's design, not Charlie's design, God's design is that we cooperate with one another in a place called the church. That's where we do our business together. Now, we can say, well, I do my business with my brothers and sisters in my home. Of course, that's another place. But we come together uh, week in and week out if we can, if we're able. We come and we cooperate with one another. I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But God rules his church. God rules. God, God rules. He reigns. But he rules his church through qualified, that's the descriptor, qualified godly men. Okay, that's how God does it. These men, also we see in the text here, leaders or elders are put in place to feed and lead the church. That's why they're there. Again, look at 17, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Let me just stop right there. I mean, what a verse for a pastor to be teaching on. Hey, listen, church, uh, obey your leaders, that would be moi and the elders, and just go ahead and submit to us, right? Well, that could be a very dangerous thing if we don't qualify what it is that that position needs to look like. So 
it might sound a bit self-serving in some places, but I believe that when I'm done with this, you will say that I honored uh, God and honored the word uh, on this Lord's day. So again, obey your leaders and submit to them. So who are these that are author, the writer to the Hebrews, who's he referring to? Who are these leaders, right? Well, I believe that these are the elders of the local church. That's the way that I would read that, right? So these would be the elders of the local church. That's what it's in reference to. There's nothing, I mean, nothing in the New Testament to suggest that any church was led or governed by anyone other than those designated by elders. We see this pattern all through the New Testament. It's affirmed in the description of Paul's ministry in the book of Acts. Let me read that to you. I think it's helpful. Set up the text, Acts 14, 20. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, again, and when they have appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. So we see that pattern in the New Testament. That's not the only place, but we see that elders are set up. So I believe this is talking about elders. So the words obey and submit, just think about that for a moment. I've already teased you a little bit, but when I put those words out there, obey and submit, what comes to your mind? Is anybody in the mood to obey and submit today? Well, I guess it depends on who you are, but having some fun with you, you know what I mean by that. So it certainly is going to bring a lot to one's mind. And if you've lived any amount of life, uh, you've sat under some, let's call them interesting leaders, right? Uh, very interesting. Maybe you've sat under the teaching or under the authority of a legalistic pastor or elder. Maybe that's, you've had that experience. Or maybe an overbearing boss or family member. I know the context of the local church, but maybe you've sat in that room or have had the privilege of calling that person in your family family and yet they're overbearing right unfortunately this is the case for more than a few even in this room uh, on this lord's day but the bible makes it clear what type of man is qualified for the job of elder so we know that in the church we can mess these things up because elders you know, men are appointed to be elders in the church. And here's what I know about men. Here's what I know about myself. I'm a sinful man. So I just got done reading God's word to you. And I said, so reads God's holy and inerrant word, right? It's with, it's, it doesn't have any error, right? But here's what I know about me. I often have error. I often sin. Now, should I make a pattern of that? Of course not. But I know this, that every church that has elders has men that sin. And so we have to, hold each other accountable, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So, But the structure of the church is that there are elders in place. But again, going back to the clarity of the role and the function of elder, and we see what the qualifications are in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. So if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to go there, but I will be reading that to you, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And this would be the qualifications for an elder. It's not an exhaust, exhaustive list, but it certainly covers the role and the function. So again, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. We're just looking to see 
the qualifications for this position, this office, I should say, called elder. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, allow me to read this to you. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's an elder, he desires a noble task. Let me stop right there. It's a noble thing to want to be an elder in the church. It's a noble thing. So if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, here we go, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we see these descriptors or the qualifiers for this position. Is Rod, is he above reproach? Is he hospitable? Is he able to teach? Is he gentle, self-controlled? Again, this is not something that Rod in this context that we just celebrated as an elder, he's not going to live this perfectly, but the pattern of his life is that he would model this type of behavior. And if he's out of line or he steps in it and does something he shouldn't do, he's going to be quick to apologize. He's going to be quick to ask for forgiveness because the spirit that dwells within him is going to convict him, Lord willing, before he gets out of the room. So as we think about the position of elders, remember this. It's the position, it's, it's, it's sacrifice, not position. It's all about sacrifice. It's all about giving of oneself, right? And we'll start to see that in the text. Uh, Blake Ryan taught me this. Charlie, it's about the towel, not the title. It's a good thing. Think about the, t- the towel where you know, Jesus wiped the feet of, uh, of his disciples. It's about the towel, not, not the title, right? Uh, Warren Wiersbe said that when the servant of God is in the will of God, teaching the word of God, the people of God should submit and obey. And here we go again, that submit and obey. I don't know how you're feeling about that, but again, just think about that because God is asking the people of God to submit and obey their elders in the church. That's what he's saying. This is, this is what I want to see in the church. This is my plan, my game plan for a healthy church because effective leadership requires effective following. Imagine if we just, as elders, we you know, we if we were just leading, but nobody was following. <laughs> well, I've heard it said before, I forgot who said that, but he said, if you think you're a leader, um, well, if you think you're a leader, uh, go out for a walk and find out who's following you. If no one's following you, you're not a leader, you're just taking a walk, right? So it's important that the church follows the elders. That's God's uh, design. We submit to godly church leaders, godly church leaders, We submit to godly church leaders and abusive leaders. Abusive leaders should be confronted and removed from the office of eldership immediately. 
because the purpose and authority of this office is to protect and bless those that are under authority. It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to encourage and exhort. Yes, sometimes bring discipline, but we're meant to be a people where you want the elders to be an authority because you trust them, because they are godly and they look a lot like their father. They're imitating him, which would be the Lord. We should trust, now, as I say this, I'm going to have to qualify it, but do hear it. I, I mean everything I'm getting ready to say. We should trust and cooperate with our elders. We should trust and cooperate with our elders, believing this, that they have your best interest at heart. We, we have to start with that, assuming that they are qualified, that these elders have your best interest at heart. Now, we should also be discerning, shouldn't we? As God's people, as Christians, we should be discerning. We should be like the Bereans who searched the scriptures to make sure that what was being taught was accurate. So this isn't something where we just put our head in the sand and go, whatever the elders say, I mean, I, I guess. I think it's cool that he just reads in Latin. I don't know what he's talking about, but I hope it's good. No, that's not what we're saying. we got to examine the scriptures. we got to be discerning in everything that we do, but we start with a trust that my elders got my best interest at hand. I trust that this is a godly man. I Imagine starting from a different place where I don't trust you. <laughs> I don't trust anyone. <laughs> well, that's not good. It's not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy, right? So we start assuming that they've gone through that process, which we do here, that this person's qualified, but they are still men. I am still a man, and we have to be held accountable. We should ask questions. You know, sometimes in the church, we're afraid to ask an elder or a pastor a question. It's sometimes I get this, Pastor, I, I hate to ask you this, but. You know how to question, but. No, listen. You can ask any question that you want. As a matter of fact, you should have every elder's cell phone number. You should be invited into their homes on a regular basis. You have access to the elder. They're not above you. They're meant to do life with you. They have a different role than you have. It's their job to invest into you. That's their, one of their jobs. We can ask questions. Uh, sometimes, you know, you might be in a member's meeting or it could be something at church or whatever, and, and you might say, you know, Pastor, help me to understand what you meant by this or that. That's a great question. That's what we want to hear because we want to be teaching. We want to be encouraging. We want to help you understand. And there might be things that happen in the church where you go, I don't know if I, and I don't get why you would do that. Now, you don't say, I don't get why you would do that. What's wrong with you morons, right? But you're going to ask those questions. You're going to be asking, help me to understand, or I'd like to, and, and it's, it could be a good thing. You just want more information. But the point is, is we're a family. We talk to one another. It's okay to ask for information. It's okay to get clarification. Elders are not off limits. Elders are shepherds, and the elder's job, according to the Word of God, is to serve you and care for you and to keep watch over your soul. That's the responsibility of elders. So it's our joy uh, to serve you. Again, look at 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. One pastor said this. He said, you know, you know it's much easier to win souls than it is to watch after souls. Because to keep watching after souls means it's continuous, that you, you keep on doing it. It's harder to keep on looking after somebody. It's, it's work, but yet it's our joy. But we submit and obey our elders knowing this. This will be about the third time I've said this tonight. Knowing that it's, it's God's design. It's the way that God has designed the church. It's God's design. It's God's design that the elders would watch over every single soul in the church with the understanding that God is going to hold every single elder accountable for their actions. If they're going to hold that title, the office, they're held to a higher standard. And God will hold them accountable. Hold them accountable, each each elder for their actions, because privilege carries awesome responsibility. It's a privilege for this office, and it carries awesome responsibility. And what I would say to myself and Rod and Larry and, and Blake is, God is watching us. He's watching how we are shepherding, and, and are we really loving God's people? Even the ones that are what we call EGR, extra grace required. Are we loving them? You know, not everybody is created equal. Not everybody is easy to deal with. But the Bible doesn't say, you know what, Charlie, i tell you what. Um, you know, Ra's the last one. He's got no seniority. So give him all the tough ones and you take all the easy ones. You get Miss Faye and Tony and then give the rest to Rod. That, that's not the way that it works. You see, the elder's job is to wrap our arms around these people in the church and love them, meet them where they're at. yes. There are times where we have to do a little of this sometimes. But by and large, our job is to be there, listen, support, and point you to the cross, point you to God's word. I'm more on that in, in a moment. So God is watching. He's watching what we're doing as, as overseers. And he's watching how you are interacting with us. It's one of the few times where I can say, us, you, them, you know, it's one of those, but, but really, there's a responsibility for the church to care for your elders and, and to give us the benefit of the doubt and to understand that we have bad days too and we have families too and, and we may not be able to get back with you as quick as you would like, although we should. It's the responsibility for all of us as Christians to love one another, to give each other the benefit of the doubt because we love Christ, therefore we will treat each other as such. I want you to think about this. This is so simple, but it ministered to my soul. It's so simple. But Jesus told Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Just think about how profound that is. If you love me, feed my sheep. Jesus is all about us as elders feeding his sheep. He's all about us as those who are growing in holiness, who are growing in sanctification, those who are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, we need to be feeding the sheep. All of us are called to do such. But again, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. Now here's the part. Let them do this. Let the elders do this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now what's that all about? Groaning? There's no groaning in the church. Oh, yes, there is. There's a lot that goes on in the church. You remember that commercial that was really famous, uh, really popular a couple of years ago, Happy Cows Make Better Milk? <laughs> you remember that? It's kind of corny. But a joyful pastor, joyful elders are going to preach, they're going to preach better sermons. <laughs> Probably shorter ones too, right? Because we're human. There have been times where I'll get the call. And you guys have been through this as well, but you'll get the call and someone will say, you know, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I haven't talked to this person in a long time. and I need to, I need to talk to you. It's got to be a breakfast. Okay, let's do it. And we sit down, and then there's like this laundry list of all the things that I've done wrong. You know, where well, you're not doing this, you're not preaching your best, you're not this, you're not this. And you're almost, when you're done, it's almost, now don't take it the wrong way, but it's almost laughable because it was like, man, you've been saving this up for a long time. But as an elder, I have a responsibility to not check out and say, well, man, what was me? You know, they were mean to me, therefore I'm just, forget it. You don't appreciate me. No, I have to do what? I have to understand that as a shepherd, maybe that person was having a bad day. Maybe that person is immature in their faith. Maybe that person just doesn't get it. Maybe they're not good with people. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to extend some grace and to set up another appointment to say, hey, let, let's walk through a couple of things. I think what your, your desire was was to do X. And I don't think we achieved that goal. Let's take another crack at it. Would it be wrong for a pastor to say, you know, when you said these things, that was kind of hurtful. But see, as men, we like to say, well, we don't like to say it. We're just, we're kind of macho men. We don't say those things. But it's a powerful word when a man can say to another man, that was what you said really hurt me. Now, it doesn't mean that that person meant to. But what you said hurt me. But now we go, well, hold on, Charlie, that will work for men and women. Yeah, because we're authentic and, and we love one another and we talk. And the more that we can be authentic and the more that elders can be authentic with you, you can be with us. And you know what? This translates into our daily walk with the Lord. It translates in our home and our marriages with our kids. Some of these things translate. So yes, happy cows <laughs> make better milk. But the effectiveness of my preaching or Blake's preaching, whoever's preaching, doesn't just depend on how well that I preach. It also depends on how well you listen. Let me say that again. It depends on how well you listen. You see, if, if an elder is known as a sermon machine, you're going to be really disappointed to crank a sermon out every single week, let's just say you're going to put out some material that's going to be less than your best. But you guys aren't coming to hear the sermon. You guys are coming for a lot of different reasons. It's just one of the things that you come for. You're coming because you're a family. You're coming to learn. You're coming and you say, look, I don't need all the frills. Just give me God's word. I'll glean something from this and I will use something to bring glory to the Lord. I will honor the Lord somehow, some way, but maybe you were called today not to hear this sermon. Maybe you were coming in here today because you are God's man or God's woman to minister to somebody that needs you to minister to them. 
What would it look like in the local church if people got here? And this is not, this is going to sound legalistic. It's not meant to be. But what would it look like if we got here 15 minutes early and we just said, my, right now, I've been praying all week for an opportunity to minister to somebody. And I'm praying that God allows that to happen. I want to love God's people. That changes things. And you go, well, I can't do that every week. But what if you did it once a month? But if I was to ask you to do that, I got to be careful how I do that because I don't want it to be legalism. And I, I want you to do that because you learned something tonight. And you go, man, I want to do that. Because I told you a story earlier, it was a true story, where someone you know, sat me down and, and they, they beat me up and told me a lot of things that, I, that w- wasn't really helpful to me. But at the same time, somebody else picked up the phone and said all these great things. <laughs> So I know this, that that person was God's man, God's woman at that time to encourage my soul. And we need encouragement. How many people here feel like just, you know what, Charlie, I've had it. I've had too many people encouraging me this week, and I just wish they'd stop. No. We need encouragement. And we need to be able to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. I was on the wrong side of that. Forgive me. Here's what happens to a relationship when someone can admit they're wrong or someone can say, man, I I went about this the wrong way. Forgive me. When you sit back down again, the relationship goes to another level, a good level, because trust is established. That's why God, that's why the enemy doesn't want to see us sitting down and talking to one another. He wants us to be talking about each other, not to one another. But in the church, we're called to talk to one another. And we can do that. And elders are supposed to be modeling that to you. This whole groaning, which was really interesting there. I mean, just look at that word, maybe circle it, groaning. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I mean, let them do this. Let them do their job without joy, with, with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does that word mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but I wrote this down. It's an audible expression of anguish due to physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. Who wants some of that? Remember, it was Moses who groaned over the disobedience of the people before and after the exodus. Remember in Numbers 24 said this, why did you, they were, you know, doing what they were doing, they were complaining, and the people said, you know, Moses, why did you bring the, bring the Lord's community into the, this wilderness that, that, we, that we and our livestock should just die here? And, and the text infers that he's groaning, he's just like, these people are driving me nuts, right? But it doesn't really matter. If God called Moses to minister to those people, God's going to minister to those people. His job is to do what? When he's tired, Moses needs to lean on the Lord and say, oh Lord, oh how I need thee. you these people, right? Because what it's doing is driving us into the bosom of the Lord. That's the point. Conflict does this. The people were discontented in this particular verse. But all of us 
get tired and weary, and all of us, pastor included, can be discontented. So we need to hold up Scripture as what it is that we are to do in our times of crisis or conflict. We're to look at God's Word and hold it up when we are discontented. And that's what God's Word is teaching us tonight. How do we interact with one, of each, with one another? How do we interact with, with leaders? But also notice that the Hebrew writer is requesting prayer, requesting prayer in verse 18. He's now urging the church. He's now urging the people of God to pray for us. Look at verse 18. Pray for us. Pray for us. That's the first three words we see there. He's coming to the end of his letter, and he's saying, would you please pray for us? This is a vulnerable, humble leader confessing his need. This is one of God's men, and he's a needy recipient of God's grace, because we all are, right? So he says, pray for us, verse 18, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. He says, pray for us. Pray for what? That we have a clear conscience, that we desire to act honorably in all things. Remember the qualifications for an elder. This is a godly man asking for help because godly men, godly women ask for help. But what is he getting at here in verse 18? Well, the motive of his life is to obey and please God. That's how he operates. He starts with that. Would you pray for me? In other words, would you pray that I would obey and please God? Would my devotion to God be undivided? Give me some of that. A retired uh, pastor friend of mine, when he would pray with his elders, he would pray and he would say, Lord, if there's anyone in this room with the elders, is there there any elder, including myself, he said, that somehow in the future we're going to bring reproach upon you? Would you just kill us? Now, when I first heard that, I was like, whoa, (laughs) what's that all about? But when you know this man, what he's saying is, I I don't want to do anything to bring reproach to the gospel. I don't want to do anything to shame the Lord, would you just take me home before that happens? And I see some of that here. A, a person that's saying, I want to obey God. I want to I please God. But he's asking for prayer. And prayer is not just a, a polite gesture that shows you know, brotherly concern. That's not what this is. You know, would you pray for me? That's a nice gesture. Oh, I prayed for you. No, that's not what this is. God has ordained prayer. Listen to this. God has ordained prayer as one of the ways he pours out his power and pours out his blessings on his people. Prayer is one of those ways that he does that. Sometimes we think, well, prayer is, you know what? It's been a tough week, and it's kind of like you go to, you know, juice it up and get a little energy. Would you like a little little booster in there? Give me a little booster prayer. I'll try. I'll give it a go. No, it's not what prayer is. Beloved, here's what we need to understand, that you and I, pastor included, are so totally inadequate unless God chooses to work in and through our prayers. We need God's prayers. We need to be crying out to Him, asking Him to help us in our time of need. And we should always be need, but yet needy. But yet the needs are certainly different. Let me ask you this question. It sounds cliche and it sounds very third grade, pastor-like, but push past it. 
just push past it because it's going to be a little elementary to you. What do you think would happen to this church if more people committed to praying? Forget the church up the road. This church. What would happen if 15, 20, 25 people just started to think about the new place we're moving into off McKinley in a few weeks? And we just started praying, you know, Lord, we're just going to come together and believe that you are going to seek and save that which is lost. And we're going to believe it. We're going to be believing that you are going to see dead men, dead women live. We believe that. Do you think that that would make a difference? Right. What happened if more and more of you in the church were praying for your elders? And just say, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to be praying for I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to have my kids praying for them. I bet you they're going through what the Bible says, a lot of spiritual warfare, making a lot of decisions, and whatever it is, just, just keep praying for us. I wonder if there would be fewer church splits or fewer, fewer, less dissension in the church if the church was praying more and more for its elders. I would say yes. You know, Spurgeon considered the prince of all preachers. There's a story about him I want to read to you. It says, on one, of his visits to the, on one of his visits to the continent, Charles Spurgeon met an American minister who said, I have long wished to see you, Mr. Spurgeon, and to put one or two simple questions to you. You see, in our country, many, there are many opinions as to the secret of your great influence. Would you be good enough to give me your own point of view? And after a pause, Charles Spurgeon said this, Yes, my people, they pray for me. He could have said a lot, but he said those words. Look at 19. I urge you. Remember, this is, a man, this is someone's heart. I want you to see the heart of this leader. I urge you, church, the more... I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. So he's saying, would you please pray for me? Would you please pray for us? I long to be restored to you. or I long to return to you. I long to minister with you. I miss you. You're a family. I want to see you. And in other words, look, the sooner that you start laboring in prayer, the sooner it is I'll be restored to you. He doesn't know that, but he has faith that God will do such things. And why not? But this man, this leader is hopeful. And what the writer is doing is leading by example, demonstrating to the church that he has faith in the power of prayer. And that's what he's doing. As I've reflected on, on my ministry of about 12 winters now, I'm not naive. I know that I'm no Spurgeon. I know that I'm not a Piper or Whitfield or Chuck Swindoll. However, I have access to the same power source that they do. I have the same exact access. And he doesn't love Charles Spurgeon more than he loves Charlie Moulton. So I would ask you, would you pray for me? And would you pray for the elders of this church? And know this, we're going to be praying for you. 
And that's how the church works. The marks of a true leader, a godly leader, is humility, meekness, and love. You don't see that, there's a problem. It's a red flag. Yes, it's the pastor's and leader's job to feed and lead. Yes, as a pastor, as a preacher, I need to exegete, I need to edify the church. Um, But we're in this thing together, different roles, but we're in it together. We cooperate together in the role and function that God has given to us. So how do you bring joy and not groaning to those that are in leadership? Simply this. Obey God. Obey God. It starts with Him. It's all for Him. And the rest of this is just an outflow of what you believe. You look at God's Word and you say, I believe all of it. And if you believe all of it, we start to see health and vitality in the church. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to be more and more healthy the more of these things that we take heed to and we obey. So let's do this. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's be gracious to one another, which you are, church. There's nothing, there's no funny business here where I secretly want to get on one or two of you. Not at all, the opposite of that. I could not be more grateful of what God is doing in the life of our church. Couldn't be more honored to be your pastor. But I would say, as we get ready to move and get into a new community, let's not just hear God's word, let's obey God's word, including your role and my role as it pertains to what we read on this Lord's Day. Amen? Would you please stand with me and allow me to pray over you? Father God, we just are so grateful for who you are and we thank you, Lord, for the what you've ordained in the local church. We thank you for the the way in which you've set things up. We thank you, Lord, that the qualifications for eldership are high. We thank you, Lord, that you are a gracious and kind God, and we thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. There's so much to be grateful for. I see many faces smiling in agreement with me tonight, Lord, but Lord, I just pray that that would not only continue, but that we would learn to be a church that learns to talk about things when we're in disagreement, that we would talk to each other, not about each other. And Lord, that we would be a church, Lord, that would be known in our community as we pray for that church that's off of McKinley there, that even right now that you begin to prepare hearts, Lord, and that you, Lord, would seek and save that which is lost, that many would come to a saving faith because of this ministry. And of course, Lord, we will turn back and give you the honor and the praise. We do love you in this house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.